0: I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love for you to find Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. I am so grateful that Zach Watson had the opportunity to preach at Maysville last week. He did a phenomenal job. We're so grateful uh, for him. I'm thankful for you as well. I'm also grateful for the rain. And uh, we pray uh, that uh, those that are coming in are safe. And we just uh, ask God's blessing on the furthest of this kingdom, on the furtherance of this uh, uh, message today. In Romans chapter number 8, we've started a new section in relationship to the topic of salvation. Remember, Paul, as he's writing to the church at Rome, uh, he has some very specific things that he's trying to communicate to the church. Uh, We've already talked about several of them. In fact, uh, we're in the second point of the overarching theme of this wonderful letter to the Romans. Remember, if you will, just by way of catching everybody up to speed, that when Paul began to write this letter after his introduction, the first thing he talked about was condemnation. And he talked about how the whole entire world was condemned. And he specifically pointed out some specific individuals in relationship to condemnation which encapsulated everybody on this planet. He talked about the heathen, he talked about the moralist, he talked about the Jew, and he talked about the whole world. And he basically said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. And then after he completed this section on condemnation, he started his second point, and his second point dealt with salvation. And in the arena of salvation, there were three really important points that he wanted to get across to the Christians at Rome that he really wanted them to clearly understand. The first one was justification. He wanted them to understand how justification related to their salvation. Now, many of us living in 2023 have heard on several occasions the basic definition of justification, just as if I'd never sinned. But what Paul is teaching here is not just that great foundational definition of justification. He's saying, look, we've got to clearly understand when we were justified and when we got saved, at that very moment, God declared us righteous. God made a declaration from the throne room of heaven that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, when you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, You communicated that by an act of will. At that very moment, God declared you righteous, and therefore you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Which brought us to the second point of Paul's teaching. Paul says, not only have we been declared righteous, we that have been saved, but we've also been sanctified. Sanctification, Paul said, as he's teaching through this wonderful letter, is that Jesus Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and because of the Holy Spirit that has been deposited inside of every believer, you at your salvation were not only justified, but you were set apart. That's sanctification. You were sanctified. Paul uses a very sophisticated term. He uses the term holiness. You have been declared righteous and are expected through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to live a holy life. You are no longer a sinner. You are a sinner. You're a saint that sometimes sins. You're no longer a sinner bound for hell. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You have been saved. And sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, declared righteous, set apart, and then he's talking about this issue that we're getting into now of preservation. Preservation. That is the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus does the saving, because we've been justified, because we've been sanctified. Now, as we walk through the course of our life and we get older and older, I just had my spiritual birthday, March 22nd, 1988. I'm 32 years old, Mark. Never felt help, healthier in my life. I wish I could go off of the being 32. But the fact of the matter is, in relationship to my spiritual birth, I've been walking with the Lord now for 32 years. And in relationship to walking to, with the Lord, I'm not the person I used to be. I'm growing in grace. I'm growing. It's just like that old song we used to sing in vacation Bible school. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. But oh, how loving, patient he must be. He's still working on me. If God's still working on you, will you say amen right there? And he's working on all of us. He sure is. So Paul, in communicating this issue of preservation, has got us to chapter number 8. And in chapter 8, what we find here in the text is some very important points regarding the security of the believer. Regarding this issue of being saved by faith and knowing that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. In the first four verses, Paul simply says of chapter 8, that as a born-again child of God, we operate off of a new logic. We operate off of a new logic, okay? A new, what is this new logic? This new logic is the simple fact that we are no longer condemned by God. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Remember what the Scripture says? There is therefore now no condemnation. That means that if you are saved, If you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you cannot lose your salvation. You are not condemned anymore. This is why John wrote in 1 John 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to think that you have eternal life. Well, I think i got eternal life. No, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the Messiah. And God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Paul, as he's riding to the church at Rome, God says, you are not condemned any longer. Number two, This new logic also means that we are no longer controlled by sin. Now, we live in a sin-sick world. You find this in verse number 2 of chapter 8. This is a sin-sick world we live in. It's awful. And when you walk around in in a dirty place, you get dirt all over. You cut my grass for the first time this week. Hallelujah, can I get a witness? I mean dust everywhere. I was dirty when I came into the house. I walked inside to get me a glass of water and got me water, put the water up to my lips and sat it down, looked down at my arm. There's dirt line right there, right there in the crev- crevice. What happened? I was working and I got dirty. The same is true for Christians in walking in this life. The only way to get that dirt off my arm is I had to wash it off. The only way to get sin off of us is to confess. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is now, therefore, no condemnation, but we still live in a sin-cursed world. Alright? So we are no longer controlled by sin. We are no longer condemned by God. And this new logic is a third thing. This third thing is this. We're no longer continuing in sin. That's verse 3 and 4. Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, as the Spirit dwells inside of you, we're walking after the Spirit of God. And as we're walking after the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is leading us and we have the power to overcome sin. So if there's this Nagging sin in your life, and you want to get over it. Maybe you got a vice that you are dealing with. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you cuss. You know, I don't know what the deal is, but maybe you struggle with your language, and you really want to get that right. And you know down deep in your heart, I ought not talk that way. That's just not right. I just And the Holy Spirit keeps pushing your button inside. The Holy Spirit is telling you, follow me. Follow me. You do not have to be controlled by sin. That's the new logic, Paul says. And then number two, the second thing Paul says is, as a born-again child of God, now that we've got this new logic, we follow a new leader. We follow a new leader. This is verses 5 through 13. In verses 5 through 13, he talks about this new leader. The new leader is is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us should control three areas of our life. Number one, the first area, He's to control our mind. We are to have the mind of Christ. And Paul talks about how we ought to mind the things of the Spirit. We ought to follow the things of the Spirit. This new leader that dwells inside of us as Christians ought to control our mind. Where is the battlefield of the devil? The battlefield for the devil is here in your mind, Christian. He can't take your heart. There is now no no condemnation. He can't take. He can't take away your salvation. But if he can cause you to doubt, if he can cause you to think that God doesn't love you, or or God's uh, upset with you, and angry with you, and can't use you. If he can get in your mind and start bouncing around that you have no power, the battlefield is the mind. We ought to put our mind on the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit should control our mind. Number two, verse 8 and 9, he says, the Holy Spirit should control our motives. Our motives. What motivates us? Uh, We say at Maysville Baptist Church that our uh, basic principles loving God loving others and serving the world what motivates us to do that what motivates us to love God what motivates us to love others what motivates us to serve the world it's the spirit that dwells inside of us I'm shocked and amazed when opportunities come our way and an individual sit down and and talk with us and they say so what do you want in return for you helping us what do you want in return a church might say you're going to help us in this area, in this area, in this area. So what are you looking for in return? I'm looking for kingdom growth. I'm not looking for you to cut a check to us. We're not looking for for funding. We're not looking for, for money. we got the saints of God that love the Lord. We're motivated by the Holy Spirit of God. We want God to be glorified. That's what motivates us. The glory of God. And so Paul is saying that Because we have this new logic, we follow this new leader, and this new leader controls our mind, this new leader controls our motives, and this new leader controls our members. He says this in verses 10 through 13. Now, when he's talking about members, he's not talking about church membership. He's talking about our bodies. He says, because we're born again, we've been justified, sanctified, Walking in our holiness, growing up in Jesus Christ with a new logic, with a new leader and now we have these motives that we're operating from this perspective as our mind has been given to the Holy Spirit we're thinking the thoughts of God, we're living the things of God therefore our hands and feet ought to be doing the work of the things of God. The Holy Spirit ought to control our members. We should think the right thoughts, and do the right things as we walk after the Spirit of God. That catches you up to speed from last week. Now here's where I really want to land the plane. I want to land the plane in this, from this perspective. If you have a new logic and you've got a new leader, then it would flow naturally from that that you would have a new life. A new life, and this is what Paul deals with in verses 13, verses fourteen through thirty nine He deals with this area of having a new life. It would reason that with a new logic and a new leader that this would produce a new life, and so paul's theme for the rest of this chapter is this new life, and it emphasizes two aspects of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. I'm going to go ahead and give you the two aspects because I'm only going to be able to deal with one, and then I'll come back after Easter, and I'll catch us back up to speed, and we'll deal with the second one. But the first area of the new life that Paul wants to talk about is an area called sonship. Sonship. And the second area that Paul deals with is the topic called security. Paul puts an emphasis on sonship and security of the believer in the remainder of this chapter. This morning, I want us to look at this emphasis that he puts on sonship. Look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 14, and we'll read down through, if we would, uh, several verses if we can. Let's see how far we get. Beginning in verse number 14, the scripture says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness in our spirit, and we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And let me stop right there, because let me deal with this section if I could. In relationship to this issue of sonship, Paul's going to talk about three things. The first thing he wants to deal with is he wants to deal with the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God. As a born-again child of God, there is this adoption into the family of God that we have experienced adoption is a very special occasion in the United States alone one out of every 25 United States families with children have adopted the child adopted a child there are many in our church that have adopted a child my my name I, I am by blood an Osborne but a man by the name of Robbie Robertson adopted me at birth I am a adopted child to the Robertson family and I am so blessed to have that opportunity but one out of every 25 US families with children have adopted children number two roughly forty percent of adoptions are from the US foster care system right here in the United States did you know that there are one hundred seven thousand nine hundred eighteen foster children that are eligible for uh, and waiting for adoption can I say that number again 107,918. We've been getting word over the past couple of weeks about the homeless state of Jackson County. We just found out a couple of weeks ago, and we've been praying for this for several weeks, on how God would have us to respond as a church, but there are 110 homeless children in Jackson County. Paul, in speaking to the church at Rome, had the ear of all the natural-born citizens that he was speaking to. And as he was speaking to these members, these, these Romans that were members at the church at Rome, the idea of adoption rang very clear in their mind. You see, adoption was really a Roman-type philosophy. And once you were adopted, if you were a Jewish family, were adopted into a Roman family, then you <clears throat> excuse me, were secure and you had all the benefits of Rome and a Roman citizen it encapsulated and incorporated every aspect of the Roman lifestyle Paul clearly understood this even though he was not adopted but in the book of Acts Luke reports that Paul was a Roman citizen and he was also born a Hellenistic Jew in Tarsus. So Tarsus, being overtaken by Rome, there became a, a Roman province, and anybody that was brought, born inside that Roman province became a Roman citizen. And Paul, being born there in Tarsus to Jewish family, became not only a Jew but he was also a Roman citizen, incorporating all, if you would, all of the benefits of being a Roman. And we see him take advantage of that. In the book of Acts, what Paul is saying here in relationship to this issue of of us being adopted by God, that this adoption that we have has put us into the family of God. Now, here's the question. So what does that mean? What does it mean that we've been adopted by God as a child of God? Well, it it means three things. Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, verse 14, it means that we are led by the Spirit. Notice what the Scripture says again in verse number 14. He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Do you see that there? Boy, I'd get my pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara. I would underline uh, that passage of Scripture. It is communicating to us that as born-again children of God, adopted into the family of God, we are led by the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit dwelling inside of us, and we're listening to the Spirit as the Spirit is leading us, and He's leading us through all this way. Now, now, what does it mean, Pastor, for the Spirit of God to lead you? Does that mean that when I got up this morning, the Spirit of God led me to the kitchen to pour a cup of coffee? For many of us, that is true. That is true for many of us. But what Paul is talking about here in this context goes beyond that yes, you may get up and the Holy Spirit of God inside of you may give you some discernment to say, you know what, I don't feel like I need to go down to go to church and go through Banks County or through Banks Crossing. I need to go the back way. And and there may very well be a wreck or something that hinders you. The Spirit of God does lead in that direction. But in regards to this, there's a very specific leading that the Spirit of God is doing here. Notice what the Scripture says. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What is this specificity that you're talking about, Pastor? It revolves around the word for. You see it there in the text? For. This is signaling to you and I that what Paul has just said is vitally important to the words that he wrote in verse number 14. What did he say then in verse number 13? He says, For if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through, or if ye through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The specific the leading that the Spirit of God is trying to help each one of us do is to mortify the deeds of Of the body what is that those are the vices that we struggle with those are the difficulties that we have in our life those are the struggles that want to control us and move us and motivate us and push us into the arena of the flesh and cause us to sin it is those to use my illustration that I think we all so clearly can relate to It is that feeling inside of us when we're on 285 and someone cuts us off. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It's that frustration of driving around the loop. And then all of a sudden you're doing 80 miles an hour in one section. And you come to an abrupt stop. Look at your GPS and it says 25 minute wait. And you look up and you go, Who's the idiot up there? The Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us wants to mortify, put to death the things of the flesh, the deeds of the body. So he tells us here that as born again children of God who've been adopted into God's family, we are led by the Spirit of God to put these to death. Now, uh, this is fascinating when you look at this text. It's fascinating because that that verb there, I want you to notice the verb, are led by. You see that there in the text? For as many, verse 14, for as many as are led by. That verb is so vitally important because it's in the passive voice. Being in the passive voice means that you are not doing the leading. The Spirit's doing doing the leading. We're passive. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is dynamic. The Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of us. It's not me praying for it and asking God to do it. No, the Spirit that dwells inside of us automatically does it. So when the words come out of my mouth, who's the idiot up there? The Holy Spirit goes, Bing! You are! Right? Because that's not a Christian-like behavior. That's not a Christian-like attitude. The Holy Spirit may be allowing those things to happen. I mean, what if you were 45 minutes earlier or even 10 minutes earlier? You could have been the one in that accident. And so it's in the passive voice. The Spirit is doing something dynamic inside of us while we are passive. We are not doing anything We are living, but watch this. Not only is it in the passive voice, it's also in the indicative mood. What does that mean? It is a statement of pure fact. Again, you don't have to pray for it to happen, it just happens. Why? Because you've been adopted into the family. Here's the question we've got to ask ourselves Am I yielded, submissive, and obedient to the following of his lead? This is where putting on the whole armor of God is essential for our daily lives. Because I promise you, just as sure as I'm standing up here in front of you today, somebody is going to tick you off either today or tomorrow or sometime this week. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to irritate you. Something's going to happen. Something difficult is going to fall into your lap. It is going to be a challenge. There's going to be a. Something is going to happen. But the active, dynamic Holy Spirit that's operating in your life, according to chapter 8, verse 14, as we are led by the Spirit in a passive state, just minding our own business, just going through this life, and something happens, we respond and react, and the Holy Spirit pushes on us and says, Hey, I'm taking care of you. You're my child. Let me show you something else about this. This is also in the present tense. This verb is in the present tense, which means that as a believer, the Spirit is always leading you. There's never a time when the Spirit of God is not leading you. As a child of God, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How does that happen? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. So as the Holy Spirit of God indwells inside of us, He leads us, and as He is leading us in this present tense today, not just, but not just Sunday morning, it's Sunday afternoon. And not just Sunday afternoon, it's Sunday evening. It's not just Sunday evening, it's while we're sleeping. And it's while we get up on Monday morning. God is still God on Monday morning. That'll, man, that'll help somebody when you get up in the morning. The question is, are you yielded, submissive, and obedient to follow his lead? Paul writes for those who are being led by the Spirit of God. He says this in verse number 14. He says, they're the sons of God. They're the sons of God because they're being led of God. So I want you to, to follow this out very quickly as my time slips so fast. As the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our lives... He pushes upon us and says things like, hey, give so-and-so a call. Shoot so-and-so a text. Write so-and-so a note. Are we yielded, submissive, and listening to the Spirit of God as we're being led by Him? And the reason why we're being led by Him is because we've been adopted into His family. And there's a a cliche out there that is... uh, It ought to be be more true in the church than in the world. And here it is. Blood is thicker than water. That ought to be true in the church. We ought to watch out, take care, pray for one another. And so Paul is doing everything in his power to encourage the church at Rome to understand that as adopted children of God, they're being led by the spirit. L- let me show you a second thing. Not only does it mean we're being led by the Spirit, that is, when we're adopted, it also means we are loved by the Father. We are loved by the Father. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15 and 16. He says there in the text, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit, and we are the children of God. Verse 15 is a continuation of this flow of the previous verse, uh, for we have not received this spirit of bondage. The word bondage, there's where we get our English word slavery. We have not received a spirit of bondage that has, that has captivated us and put us behind bars in slavery. And you see, he uses the term again. You see that again? That's where we were before. No, when Jesus came into our heart, when God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart and we're justified and sanctified and on the road to holiness, the Holy Spirit of God freed us and we're free in Jesus Christ. And the freedom that we have has not brought us into bondage. If you're walking around and you're a Christian, you've got Jesus Christ living inside of you, and you're gloom, despair, and agony on me, you have listened to the lie of the devil. I don't care how bad it is out there in our culture, and it's bad. I mean, our culture calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. But the Bible is clear that when Jesus Christ set us free, we got set free indeed. And the freedom that we have has not chained us to the bondage that this world is changed to. This world is going to ever get increasingly worse. But praise be unto God as a child of God, this world is not my final home. I got a better place with Jesus. Why? Because He loves me. We are loved. By the Father. Let me show you uh, another thing real quick. Notice what the Bible says here in relationship to verse number 17. We're loved by the Father, led by the Spirit. But then he says this in verse 17. We are lifted by the Son. You see, Paul makes it very clear that in response to this issue of preservation, that is to say that When we got saved, we were justified, sanctified, walking in our holiness, adopted by God. And through this adoption, we have this new life. And this new life has been uh, 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 demonstrated. It has been demonstrated by being led by the Spirit, by loved by the Father, and also being lifted by the Son. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 17 as we see this. He says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We have been lifted by the Son. The key word here in this passage of Scripture is the word heir. It's uh, mentioned here in verse number 17, and it's obviously the main focus of this particular section. An heir, by definition, is a person who is legally entitled to the property and possessions of an estate upon the death of the benefactor. An heir receives an inheritance that has been passed down from the benefactor to the beneficiary. The beneficiary has not worked to accumulate this inheritance; rather, someone else already did the work, and it is now passed down to the recipient. This particular word "heir" is a compound Greek word. It comes from two Greek words. The first part of that word is "kelros." Kelros. The second part is "nomos." Kelros. It means one who is received an allotted portion. One that is received an allotted portion by the law. That is the law of God in response to who he is, the creator of this universe, has chosen for us to be the beneficiary of his son who died on Calvary's cross, was buried and rose again the third day, And whosoever comes to Jesus Christ will inherit. You will be an heir of everything that God has. What does God have? Everything. What do we have as joint heirs? Everything. So brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you this morning in relationship to being adopted by God. I know that that song, and I like it, and that we sing it, and I enjoy it, and I agree with it. Because I do feel like I'm I'm a nobody. I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody. But I want you to listen to me. If you feel the same way, nobodies. A room full of nobodies. Don't you dare forget who you are. If Jesus Christ lives inside of your heart, Yeah, we consider ourselves in humility a nobody. But when God looks at you, you're his somebody. You're his child. I heard a story many years ago about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was in his chambers one day when they brought a young boy into his chambers. And as they brought this young boy into the chambers, they stood him before uh, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great said, why are, you, why are you bringing this boy in here to me? So we felt like it was an opportunity, sir. We caught this boy in the marketplace. He was stealing fruit. He stole from about 25 vendors. And the, Alexander looked at the young boy and said, son, what's your name? And the young boy had his head down and would not look at Alexander the Great. He said, hey, I I asked you what your name was. Do you you know who I am? The little boy shook his head. He said, what is your name, son? The little boy just shook his head. And Alexander the Great got down on one knee and picked the boy's chin up and said, son, what... Is your name? And the little boy mumbled, "Alexander." Alexander the Great said, "Excuse me." The little boy said, "My name is Alexander." Alexander the Great stood up and said, "Look at me." The little boy looked up. He said, "Did you tell me your name was Alexander?" The little boy looked up and said, "Yes, my name is Alexander." Alexander the Great looked at the boy and pointed his finger and said, Son, you either change your name or change your ways. And the little boy was escorted out of the chambers of Alexander the Great. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today who you are. You might see, like me, and say, "Oh, My name is Shane Robertson. In fact, if you get a phone call from me, you get a phone call from Dustin Robertson. That's me too. But that's my name. That's not really who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm a child of the king, I'm a joint heir with Christ, I'm an heir with the Father. I'm loved by God, I'm led by the Spirit have the mind of Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. You, you see, what I'm saying, dear friend, is this. There are some of us here today that need a paradigm shift in relationship to who we are in Jesus Christ. We walk around as we are de- have been defeated. Nobody likes us. The culture hates us. The culture thinks that we're the problem. We're the problem. We're the reason why abortion is not uh, legal. We're the reason why homosexuality is is, uh, frowned upon. We're the reason why LGBTQ, little boys and girls, can't just go get uh, changes however they want. We're the problem. We're the problem. We're the problem. God says, you have the answer. And you're the victory. You have Christ living inside of you. And the only reason why all hell is not broke loose over the course of this world is because the church is still here. And One day, could be today, the trump of God will, sh- will sound and there will be a shout of the dead and Christ will rise first and we that will remain will be called up together with the Lord in the air forever to be with the Lord. But before that happens, Paul says, listen, while you are waiting for that day to happen, while you're waiting, you've got to understand that as a child of God, you've been adopted by the Father. But there's also some adaptation that needs to happen. You've got to adapt to your surroundings. So what do you mean, Pastor? Paul goes into this next section in verses 18 through 27 And I'll pick it up here in a couple weeks. And I want to talk to you about how not only have we been adopted by God in this sonship and daughtership, but we have also have the strength to adapt into a wicked culture. That's what he talks about. We have been adapted into the family of God, which means the world is going to hate us. That's what he's going to talk about. If you want to read ahead, if you read verses 28 through 27, you'll notice that Paul's going to talk about groaning. Groaning. Mm. 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 Hey, I don't know. Let me, let me end with this, brother. I'm done. You want to come on up here? I'm, on, I'm going to pray uh, here in just a minute. I want to tell this one story, and I'm going to be done. I was in a Walmart the other day. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story. I was in Walmart the other day. That ought to be enough of the story right there. (laughs) I walk out of Walmart. And as I'm walking to my car, this guy grabs me on the back of the arm. And I turn around and say, can I help you, sir? He said, give me a dollar. I said, excuse me? He said, give me a dollar. I said, "Uh uh-uh. I don't have a dollar. And I didn't. Walked to the car. He followed me all the way to the car. I opened the door and he's standing right there. I get in the car and sit down. He grabs me by the leg and begins to pull and pull. Just like I'm pulling your leg right now. (laughs) Now, I told you right at the beginning, I'm going to tell you a story. I didn't tell you it was a truthful story. So why would you do that to us, Pastor? I don't know if you heard throughout the whole room, while I was telling you that story, did you hear what was going on? People were going, hmm, what? Hmm, what? Ooh. Mm. You know what that's called? It's called groanings. And Paul's going to come back here in two weeks, and he's going to say, "Creation groans. Christians groan. And the Holy Spirit groans. Why? It groans because it's trying to adapt to the wickedness of this culture." The Holy Spirit is groaning because you're going through some stuff today and the only answer is "Mm." could you bow for prayer? Father I want to thank you so much for this occasion I want to thank you for loving us and being with us I want to thank you that we've been adopted as sons and daughters Lord there may be someone here today that maybe has never experienced the free pardon of sin maybe they don't Maybe they don't know the truth of your word. So, Father, I pray that as we go in this invitation this morning that you would have your way. If there's someone here today that needs to be saved, I pray today would be the day they receive Jesus as Savior. Have your way in this invitation this morning. Now, before I say amen, church, I. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to step down front. and If you'd like to come forward and speak to to me or another staff member, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to share with you how you can turn from your sin and trust Christ as Savior. Maybe you're here and you're ready to do that like right now. Dear friend, listen, if you clearly understand that you're a sinner, if you understand you can't save yourself and you want to call out to God, And you want to receive the Spirit of God? You want to be justified? You want to be sanctified? That is, declared righteous and set apart from God as you walk in this pursuit of holiness, as the Spirit leads you and controls your mind and your actions and everything that you are? If that's you today, and you'd like to receive Christ from your heart to God, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, the best I know how, I repent of my sins, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name.